Go ahead and be seated now. We're going to do a couple of things. Amen. I want to I want to say before I get into my message tonight, and I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you are a part of Calvary Baptist, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I feel prompted by the Spirit of the Lord to tell you two things before we get into the message. Then I'm going to tell you a bunch of things. But I feel prompted to tell you two things before I get into the message tonight. First thing I want to say to you is I want you to be very careful that you guard your heart against criticism of somebody else's worship. You will, you will get out of church because somebody was doing it in a way you didn't like the way they did it. And I know your pastor enough to know if something is unbiblical, he'll be the first one to deal with it. But you leave that between him and the Holy Ghost of God. And and next time you are tempted to criticize somebody's worship, before you do, take a minute and check out your worship. Because you... You, you, you may be so focused on how they're doing it that it's really just a cover up for how you're not doing it. And, uh, I, I'm not trying to get amens. I'm trying to tell you that stuff will get you out of church. And you'll be out of church and at home on the couch. And, and what you was mad about will have done, it'll have done blown away and moved out. The second thing I want to say to you is, If you have an issue with something in this church, I want you to humbly and prayerfully come to your pastor in humility and with an open heart. Sit down with this man of God and be honest with him about what's going on in your soul. I have pastored the same, out of the same pulpit in the same church for 20 years. And I have had people leave our church mad about something that I was mad about too. But I didn't have a way of fixing it. And I needed help fixing it. And people that could have helped me fix it left mad when they may have been the solution to what they was mad about. And I know your pastor enough to know that he loves this flock. And if you will come to him humbly, listen to me, come to him humbly. And honestly and say, this is bothering me, this is an issue, and I, I feel like this needs to be addressed. If you will humbly come to your pastor, you can find resolution. But, but it is the work of the devil to put division between you and the man of God. And do not let the devil get you out when one simple conversation could have remedied a lifetime of fellowship. Do that. Amen. I love you tonight, and I, I'm thankful to have been able to share this pulpit and share in this church, and it's been a joy. It has been a real privilege for me for the last 10 years or so, 12 years. I don't know, whatever we said. It's been a long time, so I'm very thankful for that. Get your Bible out tonight and go with me to the book of Revelation, and I want you to find Revelation chapter 19. I know that uh, some of you were trying to figure out where we were going to be. And uh, just so you'll know, I, I have five more sermons on these suppers. And they are scattered from Genesis to Revelation. In 1 Kings 17, it is the widow woman and her son that sit down at what they think is their last supper. But they put two sticks together. They take what they have and they lay it on two sticks. And though they do not have a provider, from those two sticks they find provision. But I ain't going to preach that one tonight. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have their last supper inside the Garden of Eden. The last supper that they ever enjoyed without a sin-ridden conscience. Without a sin-guilty soul, they partook of their last supper in Genesis 3. In Luke 12, there is a wealthy man who sits down at the supper table and says, 
I've got so much, I'm just going to build bigger barns and get more. And he sits down to a fine meal, and the Lord said, You fool, tonight you're going to give an account for your soul. And he had his last meal. Even in this text tonight, Revelation 19, if you were to go to the end of this text, which is not where we'll be, but in the end of this text, God calls the birds and the buzzards and the vultures from all around the world and says, come to Armageddon because I'm about to destroy my enemies. And There is a great supper or the birds of the air as they consume the flesh of God's enemies at the end of this text. These suppers are all over your Bible, these last suppers, and they are pictures of our fellowship. And really, I would say tonight that the two little words of warning I gave you just now concerning worship and concerning conflict that needs to be resolved with your pastor, those are issues of fellowship. And it is imperative tonight that we understand fellowship. Somebody said fellowship is just two fellows in the same ship. Well, I don't agree with that. I have taken my son fishing before and wanted to throw him out and kill him. We were in the same ship, but there was no fellowship in the ship. You not only need to be in the same boat, you need to be in the same mind, in the same heart, and working in the same direction. Now, tonight I want to look at this, what will be our final message in this revival series here. Revelation 19. If you're there in your Bible, holler, Amen. I want you to look in verse number 7. The Bible records these words, and this is John looking into the future. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the capital L, Lamb, is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Father, open up the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing tonight. I pray that our hearts have been cleansed. I pray that our minds have been redirected and focused. And I pray now that as we dig into the everlasting truths of the Word of God, I pray that we would be captivated by truth. We would be overwhelmed by your glory We would leave here with a greater determination to serve you and honor you until you take us home. It is in the beautiful, precious, perfect name of Jesus, I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. In this last supper of our series, I want you to notice that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, you must understand And I'm going to need a good amen right here. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a lot of nonsense in these days where people are digging through Revelation, trying to figure out who the little toe is on the bronze statue, and who is the Antichrist, and who is this, and who is that. If you read the book of Revelation, we're not looking for anybody except for a greater vision of Jesus Himself. In this text, we see Christ, as a picture of the groom, and we see the church, you and I, as a picture of His bride. Now, in the Word of God, as is often typified, the bride of Christ, which is you and I, and the groom, which is the Lord Jesus Himself, our relationship is often exemplified in the relationship of a traditional Jewish engagement and wedding. Now, I want to walk through some of that so we can end up at the reception. That's what this is. This is the reception party. 
But if we're going to appreciate the reception, we have to understand what all happened before the reception took place. Now, in Bible times and in Old Testament tradition and in Jewish custom, listen to me carefully, it was not the son that chose the bride, but rather it was... Hallelujah, we ain't even got started and I'm already happy tonight. It was the father of the son, it was the father of the groom that chose the bride for his son. How many of you are happy those days are behind us? Amen. I mean, I love my mom and daddy, but stay in your lane. Come on, somebody. But in biblical custom and in Jewish custom, it was the father that chose the bride. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say to you tonight that you and I are in the family of God because the Father chose us. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Because He hath chosen us in Him. Ladies and gentlemen, I am saved by the grace of God, not by chance, not by happenstance, not because I got lucky, but because our Heavenly Father chose us for His Son. Now I want you to watch. The Father would choose the bride. But listen to me. In a turn of events, this was not an arranged marriage. This was not a predetermined engagement. The father would pick out a bride for his boy. And then the bride must in turn choose the son for herself. She had a say in the matter. All the women holler amen right there. This was not a prearranged marriage. She had a choice. Does anybody remember in the book of Genesis when Abraham sent his servant to get a bride for his son Isaac? The, the servant goes down to their home country. Now listen to me. And he pulls up to the well. And he's got a train of camels with him. And he sits by the well. And he says, now God, if you'll send a beautiful single young lady to the well, and she offers to get me a drink of water, and then she offers to water all of these camels, I'll know that's the one for Isaac. If I was writing a commentary, this would be my input. Duh! Any woman that'll get you a drink and 12 camels, you marry that woman. It don't matter. You marry that girl. Let me put that out here where y'all can understand it. That'd be like some of you old boys going down here to the gas station and just pulling up in your pickup truck and saying, Lord, if a good-looking single girl walks up and she offers to buy me a Mountain Dew and fill up this truck with gas, I'll know that's the one. Well, I need some help in here tonight. It don't take a genius to recognize you marry that girl. Do not pass go. I mean, you go straight to the court. You marry that girl right there. And so the servant, that happened. <laughs> False hope. There's going to be rednecks at gas pumps everywhere tonight. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Got to work in the morning. Now, that happened, and they go back to her house. And the servant, as I can't preach all this, but the servant, as a representative of the father, said, we choose her. Can we go and take her with us? And Here's what Rebecca's father said. We will ask of her herself. This is not our choice. This is her choice. And I need somebody to help me right here. He chose us. I said He chose us. But we had to choose Him in return. She could have stayed at the house. 
She could have rejected the offer. But thank God as she was chosen, she too chose Him. The Father would choose the bride and the bride must choose the Son. And when the choice was made, there now begins a negotiation. And uh, there would be an arrangement that was made. There, there would be a, hallelujah, a price paid for that bride. There would be a negotiation that began. Now, this is interesting. Y- y'all doing all right tonight? This is interesting. When they sat down at the table to negotiate this wedding, this marriage, the father of the bride would offer a drink, a fruit of the vine, a cup of juice to the father that was negotiating on behalf of his son. That father would refuse it. And he'd say, no, I'll not drink this until our arrangements have been made. And they would make the arrangement. And after a deal had been struck, that groom and that bride-to-be would take those cups in their hand and they would drink of the fruit of the vine. And then he would say to her, the next time we drink this together, the next time we drink this together, we'll be married and we'll be living together happily ever after. Well, let me tell you why people around you are shouting right now. Because Jesus walked this world for 33 and a half years. There was an arrangement made between God the Father, God the Son, and the Bride of Christ. And He sat on a hillside and said to the disciples, Drink ye all of it. The arrangement has been made. But the next time we have this together, we'll be in my Father's house living happily ever after. (laughs) Woo! What a picture! When that arrangement is made, when an agreement has been landed upon in that traditional Jewish marriage, watch what happens. They are betrothed to one another. It's more serious than an engagement. An engagement here means that one is promised to another. But in Jewish law and custom, the betrothal meant that they were legally bound to one another. Though the marriage was not consummated physically, legally, they were committed one to another. Does anybody remember when Joseph found out that Mary was carrying God's only begotten son? And Joseph, the Bible said, was minded to put her away privately. That meant he was going to go to the court and get a lawyer and say she's been untrue and I want out of this arrangement. I need this covenant broken. I need this contract ripped up because she's not lived up to her end of the bargain. They were legally joined together. And as they are legally joined together, there's two things. Hallelujah, glory to God. There's two things that had to happen in order for that betrothal to be official. The first one is, there had to be a gift of promise. Now, more than likely, when you got married, your husband or sir, you to your uh, bride-to-be, you placed a ring on her finger. And here's what that ring said. My Lord in heaven, I'm having a time tonight. That ring said, this is a gift of promise. That I am yours and you are mine. And I put this on your hand to remind you day and night that we may be separated for a little while, but soon we'll be together forever. Now, I know this doesn't apply much in our time, but in Jewish custom and especially in these days, that gift of promise was a symbol to that young lady that this is just a taste of what is to come. 
and everything that is mine will be yours. In other words, there's more where that came from. Now, I know that don't mean a lot today because I, I do weddings and I, I stand up there and some little old knock-kneed boy is about to pass out and, and she's looking at him and, and they say this, to, he says this to her, To thee all my earthly goods I thee endow. And here's what that means. You owe as much on my truck now as I do. Am I right? I don't see a lot of great transfers of wealth at weddings. I do. <laughs> and baby, my dog, my dog, he's, he's just like your dog now. I mean, we are in this thing together. All my earthly goods. But in this case, the wealth of that family, the reassurance of their financial stability was represented by that gift of promise. Do you remember in the story of Abraham's servant that he places on Rebekah, he places some bracelets and one earring. Why wouldn't he give her two earrings? They come in pairs. Somebody help me. If you're a normal person, they come in pairs. Why would he give her one earring? Because he was saying to her, this is just a little bit, but there's more on the way. This is just a taste of what I have. But stay with me and there's more to come. Can I tell you that when you and I became engaged to the Lord Jesus Christ, when we became betrothed to Him, thank God in heaven, there was a gift of promise. It was not a diamond ring. It was not a single earring. It was not a few bracelets. But Paul said it like this, that we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Watch. There'll be a, there, and we're going to go in a minute, but there's a great period of time where these two are separated, where she cannot see him, where she cannot touch him, where she cannot be in the comfort of his arms, where she cannot be where he is. And while they are absent from one another, she is able to look at that gift of promise. And she's able to get out that gift of promise. And it is a reminder to her of the promises He made. And it is a reminder to her that He is coming to get me one of these days. Somebody help me tonight. I cannot see Jesus this evening. I, I cannot feel His physical arms around me. I cannot be in His tangible presence. But is anybody beside me glad that He gave us the Holy Ghost to promise? And in revivals like this, we get a taste of what is to come. In the dark nights of discouragement, when he seems to have been gone too long, and we feel like he's never coming back, we can get out that gift of promise, and the good Holy Ghost will help us to make it through this waiting period. There is a second requirement for this betrothal, and it is not the gift of promise, but there must be a witness. Now watch. When they make this agreement and commitment to one another, and it is legally binding, and it is filed, and he is hers and she is his, watch now, there must be a witness. There must be someone who saw it all. Somebody who heard him commit to her. And somebody who heard her Commit to Him. Somebody who can be put down on record and testify and say, Oh no, it's true. I was there. I saw it all. And I am a witness that they belong to one another. Anybody have any idea, any guesses at who the witness might be in our engagement to Jesus? First John said it like this. Thank God... He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Now listen, in that engagement period, if there were accusations made, it was the witness who would clarify the situation. 
If there were any doubts put on the relationship, it was the witness who would bring about solidarity and prove that it was real and it was official. I'm going to need some honest people to go to church with me right here. There are times when I don't feel saved. All right, I got about 10. I'll see if I can get 12. There are times when I don't feel saved. There are times when the devil comes by and tells me I'm not saved. There have even been other people who have looked at my mishaps and my mess-ups and they've said there ain't no way that you really belong to Him. But when, hey, glory to God, when I doubt myself, when the world makes me doubt, when the devil hurls accusations, I'm glad there's a witness on record and the Holy Ghost of God rises from the courtroom of heaven, pulls the file and says, oh no, it's true, it's true, I've got the record, I was there, I saw it all, he is his, and thank God they belong to one another. We have a witness in ourselves tonight. The betrothal takes place. They are betrothed to one another. And now, listen to me. Hallelujah. Now, they are separated. There is a period of separation where that Jewish young man and that Jewish young lady, that groom and that bride-to-be, where they are separated. You know what happens in this time of separation? He goes to prepare a place. And she goes to prepare herself. <laughs> the arrangements have been made. It's done. I mean, it's, it's the deal has been set in stone. Now he would say to that young lady, I love you. Oh, I love you. And I'm going to miss you every moment we're not together. But honey, I go to prepare a place for you. (laughs) And if I go to prepare a place for you, darling, don't get discouraged. I will come again and receive you unto myself. And as he goes that way and she goes yonder, he goes to prepare a place and she goes to prepare herself. She begins to beautify her body. She begins to treat her skin. She begins to sanctify herself and prepare for the day that he will come back to take her home with him. It is Jewish custom even to this day that a young man who is engaged to be married will go back to his father's house and he will begin to build a home for he and his new bride-to-be at his father's house. And I told my son, don't you get any ideas. Your, 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 your days are numbered on Highway 315. Amen. But that young Jewish boy would go back to his daddy's house. Brother Robbie, you've been to the Holy Land, correct? You can see in those communities, even now, where that boy will begin to build on top of his father's home. Now watch. That young man has... Glory to God. That young man has no idea of the expectations of his father. All he knows is he is building a place for his bride. And he'll begin to construct the bedroom. The living room, the bathroom, the dining room, the verandas, the porches. And as he begins to build, from time to time, the father will walk through the construction. He'll say, son, you're doing good. It looks good. You might want to fix that trim. It's not square. He'll come back in a few weeks and say, it looks good, but you need to redo the tile in the kitchen. It just doesn't flow. And that father... We'll walk through that construction. Now listen, that boy will work tirelessly, never knowing when the father will be satisfied with his labor. But one day, I said one day, unbeknownst to the son, he has no idea, 
But one day, the Father will walk through that new construction. And He'll fold His arms in satisfaction. And He'll say, Son, you did good. Go and get your bride. I need some Bible-loving people to help me right here. Jesus said, No man knows the day nor the hour. The Father has even hid it from the mind of the Son. Don't you buy nobody's book telling you when Jesus is coming. Jesus don't even know when He's coming. He's just laboring on our new home. He's just building on our new home. And one day, our Heavenly Father will say to the Son, Go get your bride. We live in this world that God created, and it is a beautiful world. I pulled up out here tonight, right before church time, and that sun was setting over this parking lot. And those clouds were rippled, and they were scattered, and that beautiful South Georgia sun, and all you people live in Florida, God bless you, you got to look up here to see a beautiful sunset. But that beautiful South Georgia sun was setting down behind those clouds. And I thought to myself, what a beauty that God would paint that for us tonight. I've seen some amazing sights in my life. Me and the pastor shared a little bit about some traveling we've done. And I, I've stood out west and watched the sun bounce off the snow-capped Rockies and just literally could not take it in. I've watched the sun rise on the painted desert and it was just breathtaking to watch the sand come alive under the illuminated rays of the sun. I have been all around this world. I, I have seen the deep blue Mediterranean Sea. I have watched the crystal clear water of the Aegean and the Ionian Sea wash up on the pebble beaches and recede back. But for all of the creation that has captivated my imagination and has wowed my heart, honey, this is a sin-cursed world that's 6,000 years on the other side of corruption. World's polluted. You can't can't enjoy a sunrise or a sunset for power lines <laughs> and for trash and for cars and for rooftops. For all that we've seen beautiful in this world, it's six thousand years on the other side of the curse. And he did all this in six days. <laughs> And he left out of this world. Woo! And for 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place for us. For 2,000 years, he's been building and arranging. And for 2,000 years, he has been laboring to create a place for us. If this old sin-cursed, corrupt world can be as beautiful as it is, what will it be like when we get to that heavenly home He has prepared? Do you know tonight that in this very auditorium, I'm talking about in this room right now, that there are hundreds of thousands of colors in this room that you and I cannot see right now? There are hues and shades and prisms that our eyes cannot perceive. I don't care if you've got perfect 20-20 vision. There are shades and there are lights and there are refractions that our natural eyes cannot perceive. Scientists tell us there are hundreds of thousands of colors on this planet that our eyes cannot even take in. But let me ask you this. If it's like that here now, what's it going to be like? When I have a glorified body and these eyes can see like they've never seen before and we're unlocked to a world that has been out of bounds and it has been kept back from us for 6,000 years. What's heaven going to be like to see the beauty of that creation through the eyes of a glorified body? I can tell I get preaching on heaven, some of you carnal Baptists get nervous because you like it pretty good in Lake Park. But I want to tell you something. 
Heaven's not some mystical land where we're going to float around naked on a cloud. Strumming our heart. Waving to other little fat naked baby angels on other clouds. No, that's not in your Bible. That was in some fruitcakes painting, but that was not in your Bible. We'll tell you something. Listen to me. We're not going to downgrade. <laughs> we ain't going backwards when we leave out of here. We're not downgrading. Matter of fact, heaven is more real than where you're sitting right now. Emotions you've never felt you'll feel when you get to heaven. Peace that you never even knew was possible will fill your soul when you get there. The corruption of sin is gone. The contamination of sorrow is gone. Your pure heart will never be touched by pain or agony, depression, anxiety, worry or fear again. I'm trying to tell you, He's preparing a place for us. (laughs) And I know some of you think when we get there, we're going to stand in a crowd of about 200 million people. And way out yonder is going to be a glow, and that's the throne of God. And we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to peer through the crowd at Jesus on His throne. But I want to tell you something, I don't have to do that now. <laughs> I don't have to do that now. And I'm not downgrading when I get there. You know what's going to happen when we get to heaven? You're not going to be staring off miles away at some glow in the distance. You're going to be on a street of gold saying, Thank you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, He's going to be in front of you and say, You're welcome. Come here. (laughs) I'm not downgrading. I'm not going backwards. I'm going to a prepared place to be with Him forever. He's preparing a place and she's preparing herself. And I'm going to hustle along. Then when the father says the place is prepared, son, go get your bride. This would often happen in the dark hours of midnight. And that son would take a trumpet and an entourage of his friends. And he would go down the street celebrating as he went to the home of his bride-to-be. Now watch me, that's why she had to stay prepared. She never knew when he was coming. Can you girls imagine? You get engaged and you don't have any idea when you're going to see him, but the next time you see him, you are going from there to the ceremony. That's pressure right there. Say amen. Sleep in that gown every night. I mean, that's pressure right there. Sleep with that bouffant hair puffed up every night. That's pressure. But it was often in the dark hours of midnight that the father would say, Son, go get your bride. He'd come down the street with his entourage. Watch now. And those Jewish homes would have an outer courtyard walled and gated to keep thieves and robbers out and evildoers. And that young lady would be within the home, within the courtyard. And that son would stand on the outside of that courtyard And in an effort to awake her from her sleep, he would place that trumpet to his lips and sound the trumpet in the midnight hour to wake her from her sleep. And when he sounds the trumpet, she would rise and come to meet him. Well, let me tell all the Lutherans why the Baptists are shouting. One day soon... In the dark hours of midnight, and ain't, hey, and ain't we living in some dark hours? These are dark hours politically. They're dark hours morally. They're dark hours socially. They're about to be dark hours financially. But thank God at midnight, the trump of God's gonna sound, and He's coming for us. When He comes, listen. When the trumpet of God sounds and Christ comes, He's not coming all the way to planet earth. He's going to come in the air on the outside of that courtyard of our home. And we will rise to meet Him in the air. And do you know, whoo, you know what the trumpet sounding's all about? 
Do you know what that young lady's been staying ready for is all about? Because that trumpet sound is the signal that from this moment on they'll be together forever and ever and ever. Thank God, I'm telling you, we're in a waiting period right now. But child of God, get ready, get ready, get ready. Get your bridal clothes on. Get your gown pressed. And be ready. He's coming soon to get us. He comes. And she rises to meet him. And I'm done with this. She rises to meet him. And they go back the father's house the marriage vows are exchanged the marriage is physically consummated and they are officially one flesh and watch this they come out of that wedding chamber and they walk into the marriage supper which to us would be the reception now I'm going to say something and I do not expect your pastor to say amen because he does not need to admit to charges that he has not yet been faced with okay but I'm going to say it. I'd rather do ten funerals than one wedding. Because when you do a funeral, you can point people to Jesus. You can minister to the family. You can help somebody find Christ. But when you do a wedding, baby, you dealing with Bridezilla and her mama. And ain't nobody looking for Jesus. I'm preaching now. You ain't got to say that. I'm going to take the heat, brother. I'm going to take the heat. And then, and then you've got a photographer. And you may be one tonight. I don't care. I'm standing my ground. I have yet to meet a Holy Ghost filled wedding photographer. They're all kin to the Antichrist. Every one of them. Every one of them. And God help you get some, some, some now, now they can be a blessing or they can be a curse, but you get some, some outfit that is organizing the wedding and they are supervising the coordinator and she walking around with a clipboard talking about stand on the tape, stand on the tape. Why ain't they standing on the tape? You don't fold your hands this way, you fold your hands this way. What's wrong with you? Why ain't you trying to ruin her big day? Fold your hands that way. And if you're not laughing right now, good to see you, Bridezilla. Glad you're here tonight. Or maybe Mama. Good to see you, Mom. Thanks for coming. <laughs> oh, I filled up my truck before I came to church tonight. I can get home. I can get home. <laughs> and, buddy, I have seen, I have seen the edge of World War III. At a wedding. Do you know what, Brother Robbie? No matter how awful the engagement was, no matter how <laughs> frustrating and chaotic the wedding was, every time we go to that reception hall and they say, we want you to welcome for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. All the troubles of the engagement and the wedding are behind. And it's time to party. And I'll be honest, this engagement to him has been rough at times. <laughs> but thank God, one of these days, y'all hear me tonight? One of these days, we'll go sweeping through the clouds with him. And when we come down that main street of golden glory, united and announced for the very first time, what a day, glorious day that'll be. And we're going to party all over heaven. We're going to shout all over streets ago. We're going to rejoice together because we are united with our heavenly husband forever in it. And this is, this is what it's all about. It is about being together forever. What a day. That's going to be to sit at that table forever and ever and ever. Stand up with me all over the building. They come to get ready for invitation. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of you would say, Preacher, I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved and I have no doubt. 
When He calls, I'm a-going. Preacher, I'm His and He's mine. I'm saved and I know it. Can I see your hands all over this building? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can put them down. Let me ask you this. I wonder who'd say, Preacher, I want you to pray for me because I've got loved ones that aren't ready. I've got loved ones that aren't going. I've got loved ones that if He called tonight, they wouldn't be prepared. Preacher, pray for my loved ones to be saved. Can I see those hands? You're praying for somebody all over this building. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to call their name out to God tonight in prayer. I mean, we're going to call their name out on this altar so that when He calls, they can go with us. How many of you would say, Preacher, I'm saved, but this old dark world gets hard to live in sometimes? And tonight, the Lord reminded me, this is not forever. This is just on the way. Let's come and thank Him tonight. Let's come and bless Him tonight. Come thank Him you're saved. Come call the names of your friends that aren't. And let's rejoice together. All over the building, people are stepping out. Sing, buddy. Whatever you're going to do, play. Whatever you want to do. Come on, preacher. you're in your seat, just keep your heads bowed. Pray standing right there, sitting right there. Many raised their hands that they were saved. Many raised their hands that they were people in their lives that they're praying for to get saved. There's a good possibility maybe tonight there's somebody that's here with us that isn't saved. Brother Jonathan talked about that trumpet. If you go in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 and read about that trumpet. But if you get in the book of Revelation Starts off with a vision of Christ. It goes to letters to the church. And in chapter number four, there's a door opened in heaven. John looks up. That door opens. And he's called up. John chapter number ten told Jesus is that door. That trumpet sounds, doesn't matter how healthy you are, doesn't matter how sick you are, doesn't matter if you got everything in your life in order, doesn't matter if your finances are good, doesn't matter if your attendance at church is good. That trumpet sounds, and the only thing that's going to matter is have you prepared for eternity. You're not going to get an opportunity after the trumpet sounds. You're not going to get a second chance. See, many of us fear, many of us think the only thing we have to fear and the only thing we have to worry about is our physical body dying. But before you and I get home tonight, a trumpet could sound. It doesn't matter how healthy you are. The question will be, are you ready? You don't know Christ as your personal Savior. I want you to listen to me wherever you're at in the building. You ain't got to look up here, but listen to me. If that trumpet sounds and you're not saved, you ain't going to be saved. So tonight, I'm going to ask a question and I want you to be real honest. If that trumpet was to sound, Before you get home, 
do you know you'd spend eternity with Jesus? It's about fellowship. It's about him. There's a lot of people that know about him. But don't know him. So tonight, I ask a question of everybody that's here. If the trumpet was to sound tonight, before you got home, do you know where you'd spend eternity? Say, preacher, I do not. I want you to do me this favor and just raise your hand. So I'll know how to end the service. Preacher, I I do not know. If the trumpet was to sound, preacher, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. I want you to raise your hand. Is there anybody like that any anywhere in the building? All right. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, for a wonderful message, a wonderful revival. Lord, from start to finish, everything. God, you've been so good to us. Lord, I thank you for the preaching of your word tonight. Lord, I, I thank you. Lord, as Brother Jonathan walked us through, Lord, the customs and showed us, Lord, how you have gone to prepare a place for us. We're not downgrading. Man, I love that. Oh, I love that. Oh, Lord, I'm looking forward to being there with you. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thankful the Father chose us in you. Lord, I'm thankful that September 28, 1997, God, I said yes. Lord, I pray that every heart, every mind, every soul in this building has done the same to prepare for eternity with you. Lord, thank you for a time of fellowship. Lord, thank you for the gift that you've given us.